really remote amplifies the problems that exist in existing workplaces. So there's some new problems, but a lot of the problems existed already. But what's interesting is that, um, say, you, say you're in an office building in downtown San Francisco and your team is split over two floors, you have a lot of the same symptoms that a remote team will, will, will face, like a lack of belonging cues, a lack of context, lack of informal ad hoc communication. So remote is a spectrum, it's not binary. Um, and it's just like how remote you are. Do you, do you sort of see your team like once a year or never, or do you see your team maybe once or twice a week? You make remote work, you know, then you make work work for everyone. What's up, everyone? I'm Chris Ronzio, founder and CEO of Trainual, and this is Organized Chaos. As always, we're taking a page from a different leader's playbook so you can put it in yours as you build your own. And you just heard from Dan Pupias. This episode's all about monitoring employee productivity and wellness in remote work. Dan Pupias is the founder and CEO of Range, a workplace collaboration tool for hybrid and remote teams. And prior to founding Range, Dan ran engineering over at Medium. If you've heard of Medium, the blog post kind of website, he ran the engineering team there. Before that, he was a staff software engineer at Google. So really smart guy. He left those opportunities to start Range, a tool of his own, which is specifically designed for maintaining connectedness and employee well-being for all of our remote teams. So these days where so many people are logging in remotely, when we only see people for a few minutes here and there on our video chats and Zoom calls, this software, this effort from Dan and his team is to try to keep people connected and try to keep them mentally healthy. So we dig into this conversation of what you should be looking for to keep your employees engaged. And I think you'll like what we had to say. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Organized Chaos. I'm your host, Chris Ronzio. And today our guest is Dan Pupias. Hey, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. So uh, you've got a really cool software product called Range, and I want to just dig right into it. So can you just tell everyone if they haven't heard of it, what is Range all about? Cool. Yeah. So, so I'm an engineer by background. I worked at Google for a long time, then ran engineering at Medium, which is the publishing platform. And really, uh, the idea for Range came about because I felt like I lacked the tools to help me run the team the way I wanted. Um, so I was building scripts, building spreadsheets. Um, I even had two engineers doing some internal tooling. Um, and then as I looked closer, it really just felt like there was a big hole in the market. And you know, I wanted to solve that. So you just didn't have the tools you needed at those companies and you started building one yourself. I feel like that's that's the common, the, the <laughs> ideal case. Were you a solo, yeah. uh, just, just a one-person team at the beginning or did you start with a founding team? Yeah, we had three people at the beginning and um, one of my co-founders is still with me. She was um, the people partner um, at Medium, so we worked really closely there. And yeah, to add a bit more color about the the whole, and instead of just being scratching our own itch, like, we looked at product management tools and they were really task and project focused, but they kind of ignored the human side of collaboration. Then you have communication software, which is really noisy and distracting. And also it's decoupled from the actual structure of the organization. And if you think about people's usage of Slack, um, there's so, so much of it is based on norms and etiquette that it takes a ton of work to actually manage Slack. And then the third piece was engagement software. Um, so it measures how teams are doing, but it really doesn't guide action. It requires a lot of work to process the information that comes out of the surveys and then come up with next steps. So we imagine this new type of software that actually helped teams work better together, which is built around the needs of modern teams and kind of blurs the line between some of those like traditional categories. 
So if, you know, if the average person listening has some of the big name tools, you know, some the 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 names like like a Slack and a Zoom and a Asana or something like that, where would range fit in or what does it replace just to get everyone to wrap their heads around it? Yeah, I mean, so this tr- it's true that there's a, some overlap with uh, several different types of tools, but typically we replace bad processes, a lack of process, or things that are just done informally in, say, Slack or Google Doc. So we integrate with Slack and Microsoft Teams. Um, we see those products as the engagement layer. Then we also integrate with all the systems of record. So Asana, GitHub, Calendar, Google Docs, eventually CRM systems, um, pretty much any way you're working. And the, the typical employee might be working in around 12 systems of record today. So range slides in between these two and becomes the sort of the sensing layer, the intelligence layer that um, helps you get a more complete picture of what, what's going on on your team. Got it. Okay, that's helpful. So uh, you mentioned starting with a, a team of three. How big is the team today or what's been the growth story over the, the last few years? Yeah, I mean, this is a wild time to start a company with um, COVID and economic crises and whatever, but um, we're 18 people today. Um, and yeah, it really feels like that we, we started the company when we saw these trends in the workplace. And over the last few years, that's really, you know, come to reality and come to fruition. And, you know, so pretty much everyone is, has experienced remote work now. And pretty much every company will have some element of remote work going forward, whether it be hybrid or, or fully remote. I think it's an incredible time to start a company. You know, over the last few years, we saw so many big macro shifts and trends. And a lot of the existing software players had to pivot or had to figure out how they're going to exist in this world. And so starting from scratch is almost easier, like uh, building with a, a fresh code base rather than uh, a refactor. Am I saying that right to an engineer? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I think that the world is definitely changing. It's kind of a cliche to say it's changing faster than ever, but I think it's true. Um, norms and expectations around work are, are so different today. And the implications of even the 2008 crisis affected how people worked, how people show up, how people expect what they expect from their, uh, their career. And we should expect COVID and the current financial situation to you know, continue continue that trend. So as I was looking at the videos on the website, it seemed to be that one of the main focuses was uh, people to people meetings and group meetings. Is meetings really central to the application? Um, so, so, so essentially we looked at, um, like we envisioned a platform for teamwork going forward and we, and we needed, needed a wedge. And one of the big pain points we heard was around meetings. So the first product was actually around async check-ins, which kind of replaced a daily stand-up um, um, where you share you know, what you're working on, what you've done, and then there's a few um, team building components built into that. So that, the goal of that was to reduce the number of meetings you, you have. And, and you know, we hear people actually cut their meeting time drastically through those async check-ins. And then the second pillar of our product is around the meetings that you do have. So when you do have a meeting, we have a agenda, agenda management tool, which makes it super efficient to run the meeting. So it helps you keep track of topics, do manage pre-reading, uh, take action items and notes, and then creates accountability loops for those. So I think, uh, you know, the, the meeting thing is, uh, it creates chaos. You know, so, so many people have, have chaos and, you know, this podcast is all about organizing chaos, right? So <laughs> meetings to yeah. me are about staying productive and keeping your people accountable and then helping 
deal mm-hmm. with the person on the other side of the meeting and make sure that they're in a good place, that they're happy and healthy and, and right. staying sane. And so, so let's kind of talk about those two things one at a time. We'll start with just the, the general productivity of a business. So first, is range remote? Is your business remote too? Yeah, we're completely remote today. And do you think the product is built for remote teams or kind of any business? Um, so we, when we started, um, remote was considered fringy. Um, so we, we didn't build it specifically for remote teams. We, we looked at what teams needed in order to be productive. And what we found over the first couple of years was that really remote amplifies the problems that exist in existing workplaces. So there, there's some new problems, but a lot of the problems existed already. Um, and they just amplified and there's fewer get out of jail free cards. So that meant our early market was, um, you know, we had a lot of remote teams in that early market. So we we have focused on their needs specifically. But what's interesting is that, um, say, you, say you're in an office building in downtown San Francisco and your team is split over two floors, you have a lot of the same symptoms that a remote team will, will, will face, like a lack of belonging cues, a lack of context, lack of informal ad hoc communication. So remote is a spectrum, it's not binary. Um, and it's just like how remote you are. Do you, do you see your team like once a year or never, or do you see your team maybe once or twice a week? So I think you make remote work, you know, then you make work work for everyone. Right. And that's a good point. I mean, if you're split between a couple different floors, it's like you're remote. You you don't see those people hardly ever. You know, we're moving into a new office and, and we are predominantly remote, but we do have an office for anyone that wants to come to it. Uh, and we'll have a few different floors. And I wonder how that'll go. It, it's going to require us to have really strong communication. So yeah, I was just going to have a funny anecdote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go for it. Sorry. I was just going to say it, it will fundamentally change the culture. And when, when I was at Medium, we were on the same floor, but there were two sides. There was the Farrell side and the Market Street side because we were in this weird flat iron building. It was a triangle. And literally people would say like, oh, those people on the Farrell side or those people on the Market <laughs> Street side, they became an identity. Oh, no. and, and it caused like some tension for real. So like, you know, the structure and the architecture of how we shape our offices and our buildings affects the communication. And then that affects how we behave to each other. Well, I hope we don't start talking about the upstairs people and the downstairs people. We we may need a uh, <laughs> a camera and a huge monitor to see what's going on on each floor. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you will. I think that's what's funny. So I think it's like, how do you intentionally cultivate the connections between floors and diffuse some of those tensions? Well, do you have any tips while we're on the topic? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to think about. So if you are going to be co-located instead of. Um, uh, like like fully remote, like one of the pieces of research is around belonging cues. So if you and I get in the elevator together or go to, say, uh, the cafe together, even if we don't talk, there'll be like an informal belonging cue. Like we'll make eye contact, we'll smile, maybe nod. And that kind of reminds each other that you're on the same team. Now, if you never, if you don't have these belonging cues, they kind of degrade and decay over time. And then you end off with less trust and that trust actually erodes the psychological safety and the sort of the, the, the connection on the team. And that's what gets, that's what gets underneath the uh, effective teamwork. Hmm. So how do you simulate those belonging cues through an application like yours with a remote mm-hmm. team? Yeah. I, I, so in our, in our product, when you do check in, you check in with your mood. So I check in with, um, I'm green today and I'm feeling nerdy. So I put on the nerd glasses or feeling a bit like a cowboy, put a cowboy hat. And it kind of just humanizes you a little. Mm. And then we also have um, team building questions every day. So it might be a question about what do you do this weekend or, you know, what type of books do you like to read? And again, it's just about humanizing each other. 
And then you also see teams using Slack for this. So they might have, um, I think Zapier does a gift party where you know they all just start throwing silly gifts in the channel. And it's just anything that like humanizes your colleagues is can, 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 can function as a belonging queue. <laughs> That's fun. We'll, we'll have to have a, we'll try out a gift party ourselves. So do you think a lot of companies are still afraid of remote work? And, and why do you think that is? There's kind of like two theories of motivation, right? Theory X and theory Y. Theory X is that you're inherently lazy and will do the minimum amount of work necessary. Theory Y is you're inherently want to be good and like want to cultivate craft and want to grow. So people who come from this theory X school of like, they worry that if people are at home, then they're just going to be slacking off and playing on their computer instead of like doing work. So if people are sitting in the cube, then they can at least see people are kind of working. But we all know that's a fallacy because people could just be checking TikTok or whatever all day in the cube, let alone, you know, they don't need to be at home to do that. So I think it predominantly comes out of fear. Um, and then the second element is not knowing how to manage teams remotely. So there's all these practices that people use to run teams that kind of break down when you go remote. You have to evolve them and learn new ways of doing it. And that, I think, is always scary for new people. Yeah. Scary for people, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it is fear. And I think I think it's fear that if you can't see what people are working on, you don't know if they're getting anything done. And, and so you know, th how do you recommend that managers, leaders can keep tabs on what their people are doing without feeling so micromanagey? I think I made that word up, but. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think it's a legit word. Um, yeah, I mean, I think f f for managers, it, like you can't expect to not see anything that's going on. Like it's part of your job is to understand how work is progressing and what's what's going on. So the expectation that managers can't get visibility into the progress of work is kind of ridiculous. But at the same time, we don't want it to feel micromanagey. So I think there's this kind of, there needs to be a culture of transparency and the transparency is about sharing context with your team. And one of those teammates is your manager who is who has a certain role to play. Um, so then how do we create transparency? We can work in the open, we can use tools like Slack, we can use tools like Range to create more visibility. We can also set up a cadence of communication um, where information gets shared and transmitted. So meetings are much maligned, but I actually think meetings are really important. And you need to think about this cadence of meetings that actually allows you to check in on what is the plan, how are things progressing, who's blocked, um, like what decisions need to get made and all, and all those things need to happen. And if you can do that, you can kind of calm some of those anxieties and fears that then lead to the micromanaging behavior. So I do think micromanagement comes from, for most people is it stems from fear and a lack of trust that things are going in the right direction. Like I don't think most micromanagers are honestly like Machiavellian, tyrannical, authoritarian, like control freaks. Like they're just like, they just, they're worried that they're going to, that the project isn't going to ship on time and they're going to get, you know, blamed for yeah, it. Yeah, like you said, there's a lack of trust and they're kind of leaning in and they're 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 over your shoulder. And so what have you seen as the best cadence of check-ins to make sure that work is progressing? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm biased, of course, but I quite like the way that we work and it's it's been tuned over a couple of decades of <laughs> working else, elsewhere. So we work on two-week cycles okay. and we think about a cycle as um, having bookends. So at the start of the cycle, we have like a full team meeting where we, um, it's like an all hands. And at the end of the cycle, we do a recap and it kind of creates this um, sense of closure mm -hmm. um, and 
um, like pace to the work that doesn't feel like it's a constant grind. And then each team will have a planning meeting at the start and then a couple of check like in-person check-ins along the way. And then we, of course, use async check-ins every day um, as kind of like a background drum beat where you can share um, what you're working on that particular day, um, you know, any updates, ask for feedback, things like that. Well, we did not talk before this podcast and we do the same thing with two week sprints or two week sessions. So that must be correct. Two for two. Yeah, I think I mean, I think I think it depends on the nature of the work. And it's possibly that like our work is in a pretty similar stage. But I think work has um, like if you're working on a an infrastructure project or a, you know, a two year build, that's going to be very different than if you're in like a growth mode or, you know, R&D mode. So I think and then faster than two weeks, I think it's just the pace is too high for it's too much overhead for a team of a reasonable size. It might work for a small team. Where do you think uh, goal setting, goal tracking, goal reporting fits into this whole check-in thing? Yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting because there's a whole there's a whole host of like OKR tools and OKR practices, and the way I think about OKRs and goal setting are the their tools and they serve a purpose and what is that purpose and too often they're essentially used for like executive oversight so it's essentially an abstraction that allows an executive to understand the status of a project and i think that misses out on some of the value of okrs so if okrs are around if you think about it from a team perspective the goal and the okr or the objective whatever model you want like the v2 mum whatever whatever it is it can help the team understand what to prioritize, um, what is important, and um, how to make decisions better. So I think I think about it through that lens. And like the irony of working at Google, which is like the poster child for OKRs, is as an engineer, I often didn't know what my OKRs were like at Team OKRs. I was like completely disconnected. So I was just working on projects, and then some middle manager knew how to connect those projects to the the OKR, and that's like a huge failing. Like if I knew the material impact of my day to day project on a KPI or a business metric. I would be able to make much better decisions and probably feel more motivated as a result. Yeah, I think it's important to keep tabs on those metrics and and feel attached to the bigger goals. And I think that they get missed a lot of times because check-ins can feel just very operational, the project that you're working on. And so it should it always be an element of the agenda to to talk about those bigger picture OKRs or whatever they're called. Yeah, we so we, we do it on a at the start of a, a cycle. So the the at the start of the cycle, we check in on our objectives, and um, I think that I think this is where kind of having um, like rituals is really helpful. So, if the ritual is at the start of the cycle, you check in on the goals, and everyone shares um, plans, progress, problems, whatever it is, and there's there's a bunch of these formulas, but it kind of just like standardizes it and makes it habitual. And if every single week someone has to think through. Okay, what do I need to find? What information do I need to find out? How do I phrase it? How do I share it? That's a lot mm. of overhead. So, coming up with these simple formulas that allow you to quickly gather and express the information that's helpful to the team is really valuable. And when I was at Medium, I had a script that would send out an email every Friday asking four questions to each of my team leads. And then I would use those four questions to roll up a report for the executive team. And that made it, you know, a very quick. Um, habit for my leads and also for me in writing that like executive team report. So you said yours was plan, progress, problems. Is that what it was? That, um, I actually used, um, I used uh, like, what's the goal? Um, what's um, the reality? What are obstacles? And what are some opportunities? Oh, that's cool. I like that. Go- goals, reality, goals, reality, obstacles, opportunities. So- 
And then you can add wins. Yeah, so just having the ritual. I mean, it makes it so you don't have to think about each week. What am I reporting? What am I presenting? I think that's a great suggestion. Exactly. And and humans are in, you know, we're super ritualistic beings. Like every morning we get up, make coffee, like you make the kids breakfast. Um, every weekend you, you know, go for a run, like go see the football game, watch a, your movie. Like we like this rhythm and this ritual. And like when there's chaos, like to the point of the podcast, like that increases the anxiety and it actually increases uncertainty and it then gets you out of your yeah, groove. Yeah, exactly. All right. So shifting into wellness, you know, the other side is, is checking on the person, not checking on the progress or the work, but on the person. How do you actually keep a pulse on your employees' wellness, on how they're feeling as part of these check-ins or part of this this uh, remote work? Yeah. So so in range, we have a, the check-in has a mood. Um, so it's self-reported, of course, and and there's a lot of caveats into the, you know, the effectiveness of that, of that. but that is kind of like the the backbone pulse and that's cr- kind of like a quick checker like am i green am i tired like how am i showing up today am i really sick am i red um and, and it's kind of this like ambient information but that on its own is not going to be enough because you have to have that level of um psychological safety in order to share that and then also there's you need you know you need to get more color so we we kind of like try and sense in a bunch of ways. We, we have a lot of openness around um, like how we're doing. So every meeting starts with a check-in round where you say like how you're showing up, if there's anything on your mind. And as leaders, we try and role model um, that very openly. So I've had a lot of sleep problems with my children and I, I will often say like, oh man, I've been up, up, up all night with my kids. So I'm pretty tired. Um, and you know, the other leaders model it. And then that helps surface information. And really the goal of that is not about... Um, it's not about like tallying who's feeling good and who's feeling bad. It's about sharing context because that's how you show up mm-hmm. to the meeting. Um, and then it diffuses some of those tensions. So if you're tired or like stressed, you'll react to me differently than if you're like super happy. And if I don't know what's causing that stress and anxiety, or I don't know that you are stressed and anxiety, I will write a story. And I might think, oh, Chris is just, he's pissed off with me or like he's upset with me. And reality, the reality is you're just tired. And, and uh, so much, you know, team and organizational tension arises for the from these like subtle interactions that were relatively you know mundane or you know honest yeah it's true i if if you think that someone's upset or disengaged or you, and you have to kind of fill in the gaps yourself you might make up a story that's way worse than the fact that their kid's sick or you know something like right. that so how, how do you take all these individually reported moods and see some kind of macro picture for the organization. Like, is I assume you have yeah. something like that. Well, at the moment, we we only have a two week history because we we don't want. I think there's a, a fine balance here. Like, and you don't want someone to draw the wrong conclusion or use it for, um, you know, you don't want someone to come and say, "Hey, Chris, like you've been read three times this week. Like, what's going on? You need to shake it <laughs> up, right?" It's kind of like the office day thing with like you're not wearing too much flair. Um, or you're not wearing enough flair. Um, so, so we currently only show two weeks history and, it's, and that gives you a good pulse and that helps you understand whether projects need to be reprioritized. And we had a customer who said that their entire team checked in yellow one day and as a result of it, they pushed the deadline out of their project hmm. two weeks. And it was like this really good sense, sensing signal that the team was getting burnt out. So I think in the future, we will, we will show um, more historical trends, but I think we need to do it very carefully and very you know, um, really think about how this information is going to be used and how to avoid it being used for, you know, nefarious purposes. <laughs> right. Data mining. And uh, if, 
if a manager is listening to this and they're doing check-ins with their people, uh, you know, they, they, they may say that, you know, I, my people aren't being honest with me. They're not sharing if they're not in a bad mood. And so how do you create a, a culture that has the right psychological safety and, and to, to make people feel like they can share? Yeah. So, so one way to think about it is it's, um, it's kind of like contagious. Psychological safety is contagious. And um, Daniel Coyle talks about this in Culture Code. And really, since, since Google's project Aristotle, a lot of people have talked about psychological safety, but we haven't really talked about how to create that psych- psychological safe environment. So the, the formula that I like is actually pretty simple. It starts with vulnerability. And the vulnerability leads to trust, which is a little bit unintuitive. So you think you have to trust someone in order to be vulnerable. But if I share a little bit about myself with you, you will trust me more and probably share a bit more about y- yourself. So we start with vulnerability that leads to trust. Trust then leads to belonging. Belonging to me is much more tangible and I can understand what a sense of belonging f- means. Then if you, if you have that sense of belonging, then you, that leads to psychological safety. So as a team, how do you create a sense of belonging? Um, it has to be about the connections between each of the teammates. There has to be opportunities to, you know, share bits about yourself um, or at least be vulnerable at, at like a, it can be relatively superficial level. It doesn't have to be bare your soul and like talk to your team in the way that you talk to a therapist. It can just be, I like football or like, oh man, I really hate mushrooms. I can't believe you have mushrooms on pizza. Like these little things are like they humanize you and they, they, they express like parts of your personality. And that's like what then leads, leads to the trust. So it, it, almost like the little fun icebreakers at the beginning of a meeting to just share weird facts. It sort of disarms people, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and, our, and our meeting tool does have a, a um, we have a module that allows you to run an icebreaker um, at the start of every meeting. And, it, you know, it's kind of, kind of fun. And the funny thing is, like, we have we have this agency we work with and we do the icebreaker at the end of the meeting and they find things about each other. You know, they're working together all the time. We just have one meeting a week with them, but they find things about each other um, through these icebreakers that they would otherwise wouldn't know. That so is kind cool. of funny. At our all hands meetings, we do breakout rooms with the whole team. And so they'll get randomly put with, you know, four or five others. And we always have these, these random prompts. Mm-hmm. And th- those are some of my most fun times. It's a, you know, a 10 minute thing, but it's with people that you don't often work with and they're across departments and you learn so much about people. And then when you see them or work on a project yeah. with them, you're that much more comfortable because you remember that story they told about their yeah. Halloween costume, you know? Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's essentially building a, str- a strong fabric, you know, of connections in the organization, uh, and it has to be, you know, it has to be a human fabric of connections. So, from the top down, I guess, how can business owners or leaders, you think, be even more supportive of their employees' well-being? Is there anything that we should be doing? I think that's a really tricky question, <laughs> but and I think my sense is that the middle managers. Uh, probably the most overworked, undersupported people and the highest leverage in making mm. this better because uh, they're connected to the team daily. Um, they, they're very close to the work. Um, and at the, but at the same time, they get very little support. I mean, they get very little manager training and they get very little support on how to actually cultivate effective teams. So uh, that's where I think the biggest leverage is uh, for, for, for executive leadership. And then, and then I think it's role modeling and um, kind of um, demonstrating these practices that we know lead to you know more more healthy, more effective. Yeah, teams. absolutely. I think I think if you can be a good example at the top, and you can support your managers and have empathy for what they're going through, and and uh, you know encourage them to do these sort of check ins, then you're you're at least on the right path, and and uh, that's probably more than we can say for a lot of companies. So. Uh, 
what's next for range? Um, just continue to make the product better. So we, um, we have our core pillars built out. So we're continuing to add, um, interesting things around the meeting tool. So, uh, pre-meeting workflows is kind of fun. Post-meeting workflows. Uh, we're working on a new consumption experience and building out a, a big Microsoft integration. So Microsoft Office, Microsoft Teams, um, that'll be a, a big new uh, vertical integration. That oh, that's great. I, I want to go back to one thing from the beginning of, of this call, uh, this podcast, where you mentioned that the check-ins were a wedge. And I understand what that means from from a product standpoint, but I think a lot of people that are listening and building their businesses may not understand the go-to-market intention there. So can you talk through a little bit of, of how you thought about that and how how uh, it connects to what you might do in the future? Yeah, so it, it, it's hopefully obvious that you can't just suddenly drop a whole operating system for work Um on the market, like one, it's like not feasible to build. Two, you don't really necessarily know what you're going to build. And three, like how are you going to market it and sell it? So we needed something that was um, essentially going to be like a, a point solution that, that would allow us to get into the market and learn from customers and work with people. And we chose check-ins because um, it was we did a bunch of re- like research and found that these stand-ups and um, check-in meetings were a big pain point. And then also we liked it because it was at this intersection of work and humanity. So it's a point where you come together as a team and connect at a personal level, but then also share about your, your work. So that felt like a really interesting point to come in and help with both productivity and team health. Um, and then we built out all these integrations, which then taps us into the work stream data. So we have you know, huge amounts of data about, um, you know, everything from documents, code changes, um, and that's really useful for them building up, you know, ambient information about what work is happening in the organization. So that, like, that that sensing layer is quite valuable. Yeah, so interesting. And I think, again, just a, a point for anyone listening to this, as you're going into any new business, any new market, uh, I think you can have a tendency to want to drop the whole business plan and say, let's, let's build the whole thing, let's do everything right now. And I think it's a really smart lesson that you mentioned, Dan, that, you know, just starting with something, and what is the easiest first thing that we can do? Because we can't do everything. How do we how do we be efficient, and tackle one problem, and then move on to the next? So I, I, I thank you for uh, for for explaining because I think it's a strong point. Yeah, and I think we also didn't know you know where would we go next. So we had so we had to listen to customers and figure out what was the best adjacent possible. Because in this space, there's just like so much potential, and, and that's honestly one of the challenges is like what is the next thing that we integrate into this product offering without making it feel confused or crowded. So we we work very closely with customers and then think about what is our differentiator for building this. So with meetings, our differentiator is that we can connect the synchronous meeting to the asynchronous meeting. For goals, we can connect the the high-level objective to day-to-day work stream data. And we have to think about the, you know, what is the differentiated factor for us adding these different modules. Right, right. Well, what is the, the, I guess if you had to summarize or leave people with one thought, one lesson, one takeaway, what would you want that to be? One takeaway. I think it's focused on the team. Um, so a lot of management is like point to point, so manager to employee. But in the future of work, the team is going to be the most important unit of work. And in remote work, that's especially the case. So thinking about team health, team productivity instead of individual productivity, um, team communication, teamwork, like that's the key. And you want your team to feel like a pro basketball team and not a golf team. Like you don't want people going off and just putting, you know, scores on the boards, but working independently. You want them to be 
you know, really fluid passing the ball and like working really closely together. Well, you must have listened to my podcast before and know about my love for basketball. So I appreciate you summarizing with that. Uh, Dan, it's been great for great talking with you. Thank you so much for sharing. Can't wait to follow Range's progress. Hey, thanks for listening to Organized Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review or share it with anyone in your network that you think could benefit from this information. For episode show notes, podcast recaps, and tons of other small business news and inspiration, check out the manual. That's trainual.com backslash manual.